This morning, I want to start a new series borrowed from my friend, my mentor, my, my life guru, uh, Rick Warren, good, uh, amazing man of God. And this series is something he taught towards the end of last year while their church was going through, I mean, they were experiencing the same thing and uh, struggling through these stressful, stressful times. And many of you have gone through extreme stressful times. COVID was COVID. COVID was already COVID. Pandemic, lockdown, masks, double masks, sideways masks, inverted masks, everything. On top of that, you had legal issues. On top of that, you had financial duress. On top of that, you had difficult relatives. On top of you, you had transition. Some of you have moved into the country and settled in during this period of time. Some of you had to move houses. Some of you have lost business. Everybody has been through stress and stress on. Stress on stress, and you've had to shuttle between cities, you've had to look for jobs. Stress is insane. Stress is real. Stress is worth addressing. Amen? Stress is worth addressing, and it is worth saying that God knows, and God cares, and God wants to help. God is interested in that. He doesn't say, oh, peaceful, just pray about it. Just pray about it and everything. No, no, no. We've got to act on this, and we've got to save our mental health, our physical health, our emotional health and our spiritual health in all of that that's going on because nobody copes the same way. Nobody copes in the same way. And what we normally do is we give in to addictions, we give in to habits, we give in to patterns that help us cope with it and then later bind us and bondage us. Here's your notes, very simple, back to front. If you're taking notes, if you don't have notes, just raise your hand. If you don't have a pen, raise your hand. Some kind angel from the back will come running and give that to you. Today is a long sermon, so kick back. If you're feeling hot, just raise your hand. Make sure that they get the fans or the uh, thing on. I want to cover this because this is stuff that you will use. This is stuff that help, will help you, and this is stuff that you can help others with. Father in heaven, get us through this quickly, but let it go deep. This is your word to your people. Give me the talent. Give me the amazing ability to get out of the way so that your people can hear directly from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the series is called Strategies for Stressful Times. Strategies for Stressful Times. When you come to the end of it, you'll be like, oh, I already knew that. Well, that's not about just knowing something. It's about saying, during this period of time, I'm going to do something about it and ensure that I don't lose out on my walk with God my relationship with my wife, my, my husband. I'm not going to lose out on communication with my children. I'm not going to lose out on enjoying my life. So we want to talk about strategies for stressful times. Today, finding the strength to keep going when I'm emotionally worn out. Finding the strength to keep going when I'm emotionally worn out. Being physically tired is one thing, but you kind of know what to do. And you feel sleepy, you just go to sleep. You feel tired, you crash. Have a good night's sleep, two, three good nights sleep, and you're okay, you can manage it. But when you're emotionally tired, what does it even mean to be emotionally tired? I know, that I, I know when I'm emotionally tired. What are some of the symptoms? I don't want to see anybody's face. Have you ever said that out loud? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to meet anybody right now. I don't want to see anybody's face. Oh, you're just 
and everything becomes a drill. And you're working through your job, working through basic chores of the day, and you're just coping and you're trying to disengage as much as possible. You alienate yourself, you shut down your mind, or you just watch TV and you binge watch some show and completely cut off. All of these are signs. These are two of the many signs that we are emotionally worn out. What does it mean to be emotionally worn out? It means there has been information overload, sentiment overload. I've had, I've had to deal with my own stuff and also deal with everybody else's drama around you. How many of you have dramatic families? Don't raise your hand. Okay? Every one of us is dealing with stress in and stress out. And emotional stress or emotional wear and tear is, is serious. It's serious because it robs you of what we call motivation, get up and go, and the ability of endurance to keep on keeping on. Are you with me? To keep on keeping on. What are signs that you're giving up? That you let people go, you reduce in, uh, interaction with communication with people, you don't care as much as the, about the things you used to care for. All these are signs, not that you are a selfish person or that you don't care about anybody, but that you're just tired, especially emotionally. Physically, you know what to do. Have a good break, you know, go get a good meal, get a good sleep. Spiritually, even you know what to do. Mentally, you know how to get, in, get into work, get, get, get down, write it down, organize your life, get into... Uh, we really know how to escape into work very, very well. But when we're emotionally worn out, the problem isn't that we don't know, just don't know what to do. The problem is we don't even know that we're getting emotionally worn out, and, we, and furthermore, we don't do anything about it. I want to address that. I want to show care to you for that area. I want you to know that God knows and God cares and that he understands what emotional wear and tear is. The keeping on, keeping on. To keep on, keeping on. Two examples, Jesus. There's a guy called Herod. He was the king of the Jewish uh, uh, you know, region or judiciary at that time. You also had the Romans, but then there was King Herod. And King Herod had a um, take on Jesus' life. And he basically sent people to say, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. You stop what you're doing. You... And then when the word came to Jesus, Jesus was pretty brutal. He says, go and tell that wicked fellow that I'm going to keep on keeping on. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day. And I'll reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going. Today and tomorrow and the next day, I must keep going. Luke chapter 13. Jesus was tenacious. Jesus knew that he had come for a mission. Jesus said that I am going to keep on no matter what comes my way. Paul. Paul's a guy who had so much going against him. People were threatening him. People were opposing him. People were beating him. People have, and he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed and we're not broken. We are perplexed. We're confused. We don't understand why this is happening to us. We, shouldn't, we don't understand why this is happening to us. We don't understand why this is happening. I did everything right. I worked it out. I was careful. I tried to be... You, I don't understand why things are going wrong or why things are not working out or why people are behaving. I, we were perplexed, but we don't give up. We don't quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down even. There are moments and seasons in our life where we even look defeated, feel defeated, but we get up and we keep going. That is the tenacious ability of someone who has a goal for their life, a purpose for their life.
Here's four ways to keep on going. Four ways to keep on going. Number one, you've got to talk about it and you've got to come clean and you've got to be honest about the fact about how you're feeling. And you've got to tell God. Write this down. Honestly tell God what I'm feeling. Honestly tell God what I'm feeling. I know you already knew that. I know you already knew that. But let me tell you why we're saying this. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7 says, Unload your burdens to him since he is concerned about you. Unload your burdens. This, this is the New Jerusalem version of the Bible. Unload your burdens on him. The original word is just drop it. It's not even like pick it up and throw it over to somebody. It's not even carry it up to a certain point. It's not even try to see how long you can go with it and then give it up to God. He says, just drop it. Just drop it. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're, you're hurting over, whatever you cannot handle, whatever you have identified as your major irritant this, at this time in your life, drop it. Honestly talk to God about it. Not the kind of, you know, quote-unquote prayers, not the, you know, the written-down prayers of get me up in the morning, go to sleep at night, prayer before the day, before the meals. We're not talking about, you know, poem prayers. We're talking about crying out to God with an open heart, absolutely pouring it out to the Lord. So you need to have that time. There needs to be that situation. There needs to be that that culture. You need to have gotten to a place where you can be that open, that broken, that contrite, that vulnerable with God. You need to first of all know he's there. You need to know that he's listening. You need to know that he understands. So let me explain that to you. God already knows every emotion you're going through. Write that down. God already knows every emotion I feel. Psalm 33 says the Lord gave each of us our minds. He gave us our minds. So he's the one who knows how we think and what, what, what leads us to the actions and the feelings that we have. God gave us our mind. So nothing we think or do can be hidden from him. Psalm 33. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through. Even in the quietest, darkest moments, when you're lying in bed or you're driving your car or you're just walking across the street and you're dealing, some of us men, we're dealing with constant anger. The anger is either full flame or it's on simmer. We're dealing with a constant burner there. Or we're dealing with constant being choked or being, being suffocated with a lack of respect. Being suffocated with a lack of respect at home, in our workplace, on the street. We're constantly feeling shortchanged because of the lack of respect. Men need respect. Men need to feel honored. Men need to feel like a king of their own castle. And when they're not the king of their own castle, we are constantly bitter slightly angry, rage toned down. We're just about handling it. God knows that. He sees that feeling and he understands it. Write that down. The second thing is God understands my feelings better than I do. I can know that I have feelings. I can even identify that I'm having some weird feelings, something confusing me, something irritating me, something giving me a bad day, waking me up in the morning, some trigger. I might even be able to identify it, but God goes the distance to actually understand what I'm going through. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows my thoughts and he is not judgmental about it. He understands it. He's with you on it. 
He knows why you're thinking those thoughts. He knows what got you there. This is such a relief. This is so good to know that my God is not against me. My God understands me as a man. My God understands me as a human. My God understands me as a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old. My God understands my weaknesses. He understands the things that I'm too afraid to start, to touch, to step up to. Those are all emotions that are just welling. That's not stuff you talk about with everybody. And men to pakka don't talk about it. And we don't need to talk about it. We've already thought about it. But there's somebody we need to tell, and that is God. There needs to be a pouring out to God. So even in the scriptures, all the way from Adam right through to the last saints of the New Testament, we have men, solid men, you know, stoic men, but they know how to go into God's presence, and they know how to come clean. They know how to be open and broken in the presence and the secrecy and the vulnerability of their walk with God. They know how to pour it out. It's honestly telling God how I'm feeling. That's the one person you can tell. Because he understands, he knows your mind, he knows why you're thinking that. You don't have to explain why you're feeling that. You just have to say, God, I'm angry. You can go and say, Lord, I'm scared. Or why is this happening? Hmm. So when you blow up, or when you overflow, or when you let it all out, out in public, with your wife, or with your colleagues, or with the rickshaw driver, then you are a mad person. He's going crazy. He's very mad right now. Stay away from him. And the one thing you need is your family to be close to you when you're losing it. They avoid you when you're losing it. So now you're even more angry. And you weren't even angry with them to start with, but now you're angry with them also. So when you're out in public and you're letting it all out, and when you're, 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 you're flying off the handle, as my father used to say, it, you're called mad, you're called crazy. But when you do the same thing with God in the quietness of you and Almighty God, in the personal space, in the bubble and the cloud of your personal time with God, and you're bawling, and you're screaming, and you're cussing, and you're with God, it's called prayer. You become a prayerful man. You become a godly man. Even though you may be spewing in his presence, you are called to choose. You want that or you want that? Emotional health, the ability to keep on keeping on, first and foremost comes with, about, with, with, with the whole idea of being honest to God. He's the first one, the only one, the right one to be talking to and to be letting out all your... But Pastor, I, I, I do pray. No, I can't. Prayer, your prayer is more like information. Your prayer is more like just letting him know and you're putting in a request into, the, you know, in he into heaven like it's some government department. And you're hoping that when the file comes to the right table, your request will be granted. But you don't have any assurance. You don't know if anybody's listening. You don't know if anybody cares. No, no, no. God cares. God knows, God's vested, God's involved, and he knows you. He understands the thoughts and hurts and things of a 19-year-old guy, a 29-year-old guy, a 67-year-old guy. He knows the thoughts and hurts of a 16-year-old girl, a 36-year-old woman, and an 82-year-old woman. Wherever you are in life, doesn't matter where this body is, at what phase of his body is, he knows your heart. Because he gave you his mind. Your, uh, he gave you a mind. God already knows every emotion. God understands my feelings. And God loves to listen to me. God loves to listen to me. No matter what I'm spewing, how angry I am, no matter how irritated I am, he loves to listen to me. David, he's one just messed up professional. You remember David? 
King David. He says, I love the Lord. David, why do you love the Lord? Because he listens to my prayers. Well, he listens to me every time I call to him. He listens to me every time I call to him. The most busy professional, David, with 1,000 wives. Not even beginning to count the concubines. That's a lot of side jobs. Lot of extra attention. Lot of drama. Then you've got his work. He's a warrior. He's a songwriter. He's everything. This guy says, I love the Lord because every time I go to him, he listens to me. That ability, that relationship, that intimacy was formed not in the throne, not in the courts of Jerusalem. It was found out in the hills under a tree when he was a shepherd boy. Are you with me? That intimacy, that ability to become king was already in the shepherd boy. That ability to handle the, the stresses of a king was already in the shepherd boy. God vests and pours into you everything you already need and he will give you more when you ask him. Morning, noon and night I complain of my distress and still the Lord hears my voice. He doesn't get bugged. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get sick of me. Same, same thing. Again you've come with the same thing. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate. So he says in Lamentations, there's a beautiful verse in Lamentations, cry out to the Lord at night. Cry out to the, when, all, when the day is over and you've, you've carried your day through to the end. Pour out your heart like water in prayer to the Lord. Please look at that verse. Please let it sink in. Cry out in the night. Pour out your heart like water in prayer to the Lord. I speak to men first. I will speak to women. I speak to children. I speak to young people. But I speak to men first. Because if you are healthy, my brother... My son, if you are healthy, everybody around you will be healthy. If you got it together and you know how to plug into God and let the grace and the compassion, the peace, the joy, the strength, the, the strength, the understanding, the patience of the Lord flow into you, you're able to carry a nation with you. You're able to carry a family with you. Number two, humbly ask God four ways to keep on keeping on. Number, number two, humbly ask God for strength. Humbly ask God for strength. Take a deep breath. Make sure lots of oxygen is, here, is in your uh, lungs. We're going to be here for a few more minutes, but I'll try to finish as soon as possible. But this is good stuff. Humbly ask God for strength. Psalm 105, beautiful verse. He says, look to the Lord and his strength. Look to the Lord and his strength. What does that mean? It means you're shifting your focus of your source. You're shifting the focus of your source. It's like shifting from Axis Bank to HDFC Bank and saying, oh, there's more money there. It's like shifting from one friend to another friend because he's a higher friend in power. It's shifting your dependence from your strength to God's strength because you have in your experience learned that God's strength sees you through. God's strength follows through. God's strength is more available than my strength. My strength runs out. God's strength never runs out. I can't ask myself for more strength. I can ask God for more. Are you getting this? I can ask God for more strength. <laughs> if I was to ask you for some money, you'll be like, oh, okay, and you give me some money. Then I go spend it and I come back to you and ask you for more money. You'll be like, what? You went and spent it? Okay, if I ask you for more time, you'll be like, oh, you're lazy. You don't use your time. But when I ask God for strength, 
I can always ask him for more strength and I'll still look good. Because when you spend strength, strength is usually spent by a strong man, not a weak man. So you come out stronger and you go and ask God for more strength. And more strength is always welcome. God always gives you more strength. God is the real source of wisdom and strength. Job 12, 13. God is the real source of wisdom and strength. And we'll look at Job in just a bit. He's an amazing example. So Psalmist says in Psalm 3, he says, I can lie down and I can sleep and I'll wake up again because the Lord gives me strength. Day by day, I can handle my days, I can go to sleep, I can get up, and I can wake up again because God is the one who gives me strength. He says, when I pray, you answer and you encourage me by what? By giving me the strength, circle, that I need. Circle, the strength that I need. That's tailor-made. That's tailor-made. That means God knows your situation. If he gives, me the, gives you the strength that I need, Jeremy, he gives me the strength that you need, he's got his files mixed up. He knows what you're going through. He understands what your situation is. And he gives you the strength just enough and in time. I'm going to say it again. Just enough and in time. Why doesn't he give you enough strength to last the whole life? Because he wants you to come back. He wants you to come back and ask for more. He wants to keep that relationship going. He wants to be your father. He wants to be the one who empowers you. He wants to be the one... I, I, I support my son. He's studying in college. He's out, out there. He's on his own. But I only give him, give him enough for the week. I just give him enough for the week. And at the end of the week, he finishes. And I said, you, he says, what happens when I talk? You, you ask me. I'll give you. You tell me what you need, I'll give you. God is a father. He always wants to give, but he wants the relationship first. He wants you to be in that. He loves it when you're dependent upon him. So here's a dilemma. We want to be independent. God helps those who help themselves. Hezekiah 14.3. Right? We want to be independent. We want to be able to go as far as we can without asking for anybody's help. Oh, you are. Okay. I don't know how that's working out for you. But the Lord says, come to me. Cry out to me in the day of trouble and I will help you. I am your ever-present help in trouble. I will go before you. I will knock out your enemies for you. This battle is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. How much more does God have to say to you to prove to you he's all out? for you. He's all out for you. And when you go to him and you cry out to him and you've humbly, humbly asked him for strength, you leave there a very powerful man, a very powerful woman. You leave there light, light, because you've told the right person. I don't have any friends who understand me. I don't, you don't need it. Nobody else knows what I'm going through. You don't need anybody else to know what you're going through. You have Jesus and Jesus is all you need. When I pray, you answer and encourage me. Daniel, God said to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, greatly loved of God, listen carefully. Since the day you began to pray and humble yourself, circle pray, circle humble yourself. Since the day you began to pray and humble yourself, before your God, your request was heard, Daniel. We sent the file out, Daniel. We sent the answer out. It was dispatched. It was approved. It was gone. Daniel, we are for you, not against you. It was sent out. Since the day you what? Prayed and Say it loud. And humbled yourself. Write this down. The attitude that moves God to answer is humility. God doesn't answer based on the request. He answers based on the humility. So I have to stop and ask, oh, is there some pride in my life? Is there something that might 
hinder God from moving in my behalf, from being showing favor to me? Where is the pride in my life? Number one problem with pride, I can't see it. The number one problem with pride is I can't see it. It's like a virus. Number two, I need to let God in and search me. Therefore, Psalm 51, search me, O God, try me. Know if there be any wicked way in me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Restore my righteousness. Humility is the key to the strength of God in you. Humility is the key to the strength of God in you. Most believers, most Christians, most God-fearing people will say, I can and I will as long as I can and when I can't, I'll reach out to you. So God is more like a stepney than he is a steering wheel. God is more like a stepney than he is a steering wheel. Number three, three ways, the third way to keep on keeping on. Gratefully thank God for all that's good despite all that's bad. Ouch. Don't pretend you've understood it. Wait, let it sink in. Gratefully thank God for all that's good despite all that's bad. So he says in 1 Thessalonians verse 5.18, you know this verse, okay, so don't switch off. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Hmm. I need to be grateful, I need to gratefully thank God for all that's good, despite all that's bad. Because there's always bad negative stuff happening in us to us we live in a broken world we live in a faltered fall falling world right bad things do happen to good people so you got to revisit your theology and here's where the great gratefulness struggles be grateful or gratefully thank god when i think there is so much bad happening in my life i forget because I'm focusing on all of that, all I'm not using your bad very, very broadly, but all the stuff that bothers you, irritates you, that you struggle with, the nonsense that you that you have to deal with in your life, from the smallest things of the maid and you know the, the garbage guy who doesn't show up, all the way to the big things where Satan's taking your trip. Everything that's bad happening, because I'm focused on coping with all of that, dealing with all of that, I take my eyes on the few good things that are in my life. I'm no more grateful about the few things that are happening in my life because what's happening this bad, difficult, challenging has overwhelmed me. So he says you need to be grateful because the secret to going on, keeping on, keeping on, the secret to that is in your spirit of gratitude, your attitude of gratitude. Okay, what does that mean? He says give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. You don't have to give thanks for the wicked neighbor. You don't have to give thanks for cancer. God is not expecting you to be grateful for your child being born with a disease or something like that. And the list goes on of all the terrible things that happen to us. Very real, very hard, very terrible things that could happen to good people. God is not asking you to be grateful for it. He's saying give thanks in it. So despite all that's happening, there's always enough to be grateful for. And if you can be grateful for what you see, for what there is to be grateful for, that gratitude will be able, will help you to cope with all that's going on. 
But when you cease to be grateful for what there is, what good there is, what is left, you only become a bitter victim, a respondent to the things that are happening to you. You become a person who believes that everything that hap bad is happening around you and to you is happening to you. Everyone's on your case. Everyone's got a trip against you. Everyone's working against you. You wake up in the morning, you go to sleep at night, and you just think the whole world is against me. You literally feel there's a conspiracy somewhere. There's some committee, intergalactic committee sitting there thinking, how can we screw up Jeremy Dawson's day today? And you begin to see everything as happening against you. That's a theology. That's a theology. Number one, if so much bad is happening in my life, so many struggles, so many, then God has abandoned me. God doesn't care. God is not for me. Or if so much bad is happening in my life, then maybe I'm the one who's being punished. I'm the one who's being chased or I'm the one who's being opposed. Something is wrong with me. So either something is wrong with me or something is wrong with God. You see where I'm going with this? Because you have to fault somebody, right? Somebody has to take the blame. So you, your theology says, if so much bad is happening in my life, something must be wrong with me or something must be wrong with God. Either God has abandoned me, in which case I will pray, I won't be grateful, I'm not going to worship. If something's wrong with me, I'm going to swim in my guilt. No, brother and sister. Bad's there. And this world will have all that is. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. So be grateful in the circumstances. That means you have a perspective to keep your focus on the things that you do have while the things you don't have are difficult. Let me tell you about the man Job. Five more, five, seven more minutes. Tell you about the man Job. Job is a man who was tested by God and by Satan. Satan went up to God, and this is a story from the thing, and chronologically is the first book that was written far before anybody else, Abraham, Moses, anybody else. Job was a man who loved God and honored God. And in a moment, everything was taken away from him. In a moment, his family was lost. All his children died. All his wealth was taken. He was inflicted with a disease and boils. He was inflicted also. In a moment, overnight, his life turned to a pile of pain. Job tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshipped God. Hello, wait, hang on. That doesn't seem right. Job tore his robe, okay. He shaved his head, mm, okay. Then he fell to the ground and he worshipped God. What's that? He said, I was born with nothing and I'll die with nothing. The Lord gave and now he is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. May the name of the Lord be praised. When everything was stripped of him, God wanted to prove to Satan and to everybody else and everyone who will ever read the book of Job, when everything is stripped of him, he still had enough. Because he had God. He still had all that he needed. He says, I will praise God. May the name of the Lord be praised. In spite of everything that had happened, Job did not sin by blaming God. How can you blame the one thing that you need at the time when you lose everything else? <laughs> the one friend you have at the time when everything, everyone else has turned from you. How can you turn on and blame that person? God is the one he still had. Let me tell you four things that Job understood. Uh, Job showed that he, would, he always had something to be grateful for, even if everything else had been taken away from him. Number one, that God is loving and cares for me, Job 10, 12. Number two, that God had a detailed plan for my future. God's got my life. He's got it. He's sorted. This is a season. This is a chapter. If he got me to this, he'll get me through this. 
that God is in control of what I don't understand. Oh my God, if we could understand this. God is in control of what I don't understand. The way things are working out, the way people are behaving, the way people are treating me, the way people are working in opposition, in competition or against me. Oh, God understands. Even when I'm out of control, he's in control. That God will reward me when I'm tested. Job 23.10. God will reward me when I'm tested. So what do I do? Here I am in the place of worship. The psalmist says, eyes open, drinking in your strength. Drinking in your strength. I want to stay positive on this. I don't want to say you do this and you should do this. That's not what this is about. This is about saying, this is how to keep on keeping on. So when I'm in the presence of God and I'm constantly every day taking it to him, crying out to him, humbly telling him what uh, I'm grateful for, uh, honestly telling him how I'm feeling, God gives me strength and I'm drinking his strength and I come out not just able to cope, but able to carry. Not just able to cope, but able to carry others. Have you noticed there's some people who can't cope with their own problems and there are some people who not only handle their own problems, they're able to be there for you when you're going through your problems as well. There's a secret. It's him. Here I am in a place of worship. Eyes wide open. Lastly, real lastly, closing. Constantly keep God as my focus. Constantly keep God as my focus. Yeah, you already knew that. Even I already knew that. But we must focus on Jesus, the source and goal of our faith. He saw the joy that was ahead of him and he endured, underlined endured, he endured death on the cross, ignoring the disgrace it brought to him. Then he received the highest position on Earth. We need to stay focused on the one who was able to work through his entire problems. Able to work through his entire, in the crucifixion of a cross. So I fix my eyes on Jesus. I fix my focus on Jesus. Let me talk about that in, for a couple of minutes and I'm done. Not the problem, but the promise. I focus not on the problem, but the promise. This is assuming you've been in his presence, assuming you will let him speak to you, assuming you've understood his promise, you've written it down, written a date to that promise, and says, I'm going to hold to this. God, you told me this, I'm going to hold to this. How do you know what you're focused on? Well, what do you think about all the time, and what do you talk about most of the time? What do you think about all the time, and what do you talk about most of the time? That's what you're focused on. Very easy. So Paul says in 1 2 Corinthians, he says, this is why we never give up. Our spirits are being renewed every day. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurable great glory that will last forever. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, on what is seen, but not on what is unseen. For what is unseen, what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. I will keep my eyes on Jesus. He's the real deal. He's the only fixed thing asset in my life. He's the only rock in my life. Here's why we never give up. Listen to the five ways. Number one, we never give up because our spirits are renewed every day. Every day I look to his word. Every day he gives me strength. As I cry out to him and as I am grateful for what I do have, he pours his strength into me and I enjoy a, a, a shift of dependence from me to him. Every day, from me to him. Every day I enjoy. We, are, we never give up because our spirits are renewed. We never give up because all the troubles on earth are temporary. If I have a problem that is from my living, from the time I'm born to the time I die, if I have a problem, one particular problem, one disorder for my whole life, even that is just a weekend compared to eternity. So my problems, no matter what, even if they last a lifetime, are still temporary. My life is in eternity. My, my home is in eternity. My name is in eternity. My Lord is in eternity. I live for eternity. And 
My whole life on earth is a weekend compared to eternity. So my problems are a weekend compared to eternity. We never give up because we know God is using all the bad things in our life to make me more like Jesus. We never give up because we know the reward is going to be great. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be long lasting. We never give up because we are keeping our eyes on God. We are focused on him, not on the things that anger me. I'm not going to stay focused on the people and things that anger me. I'm not going to stay focused on what defeats me or what makes me feel crippled and unable. I'm not going to focus on things that scare me constantly or rob me or fail me. I'm going to focus on God who gives me strength. We are praying, he says in, in, in Colossians to the Colossian church, he says, we are praying that you will be filled with his mighty, glorious strength. Why? We are praying that you will be filled with his mighty, glorious strength. Why? So that you can keep going. Why does God want to give you strength to keep going? Because the problems are not going to end. Whoever told you that is a liar and needs to go to hell. The problems are not going to end. And the problems are not going to come from outside. They're going to come from inside. They're going to come from loved ones. They're going to come from family. They're going to come from what you have, not what you don't have. The problems will never end. But your life's a weekend compared to eternity. And God's strength is lasting and everlasting. We can only keep on going. After all, by the power of God who first saved us. So the original dunamis power, the dynamite power that saved me from hell is the same power that's going to keep me going. So if you're not saved, if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, if you haven't called him Lord of your life, you don't have to make him Lord, he's already Lord, but if you have not bowed your knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then he is not a strength you can depend on. You need Jesus first. You need to be right with Jesus first. You need to get your business straight with God, Jesus first. You need to be sure that all your sin is forgiven and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You need to be absolutely sure that if you die today, you're going to heaven and your sin is forgiven. If you're not, all of this is just motivational talk. And this is not just motivational talk. This is about getting you into heaven. And once your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, once you're destined for heaven, you got your citizenship for heaven, life, it's a weekend on earth. It's a weekend on earth. Your strength for life comes from your eternity. So give your life to Jesus. Call out to him and say, God, I am sorry for the wickedness in my life. God, I'm sorry for rejecting your mercy to this day. God, I'm sorry for the fact that I ran away from you and that I am disconnected from you because of my sin. I submit my sin to Christ at the cross today and recognize that not only my sins, but my sin is forgiven if Jesus washes me with his blood. So wash me, Jesus, with your blood and strengthen me by your spirit and own me by your name and I will be yours and live the rest of my weekend on earth for eternity. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each and every one of us through this week and even forevermore.